Last Sunday, we started a four-week Christmas series, and it's titled, The King Has Come. And one of the great purposes uh, is to remind us that when Jesus the King came, he brought the kingdom of God with him, and that is good news. And for just a second, could I ask you guys, the the screen on the back is, is blank. If I could get the slides there, that would really help. The children's play this morning that reminded us that, hey, we should take, don't be afraid to take the good news out and tell others. You may or may not know this, but when our Bibles was written, there was a specific word that was used or would define good news. In the English, in our Bibles, we might see the word gospel. In the Greek, it was the word euangelion, euangelion, and that's where we get the word evangelist. Because a euangelion, because an evangelist would take the euangelion, and the evangelist would be the one to share the good news. Now, I didn't know this until recently, but Christians weren't the first people to use the word gospel. Christians weren't even the first people to send out evangelists. Alexander the Great, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came, Alexander the Great had a gospel and he had evangelists. Alexander the Great had conquered most of the known world by his early 30s, and as his armies would approach the cities that he would conquer and bring under his reign and into his kingdom, in front of his armies, he would send evangelists who would run into the towns where the armies were coming, and they would proclaim, we have good news, a new kingdom is coming. A new king, a new way of life, and it's a better way of life. And Alexander the Great did bring a much better way of life to many of the places that he conquered with entertainment and with education and with athletics. He brought a new kingdom, the gospel of Alexander. But hundreds of years later, there would be a new king who would arrive, a king who would not have armies, a king who would not conquer cities, but he would be a king who would have evangelists. In fact, although most of the world did not know the night this king was born, because of the evangelists, the heavenly evangelists, A certain group of people found out about it. If you have your Bibles, join me in Luke chapter number two. Just read a few verses here in Luke chapter number two, verse number eight. Luke chapter two, verse number eight. Our Bible saying, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel or messenger, an angel of the Lord, Uh, appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Verse 10, and the angel, the messenger, said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Euangelion, I'm bringing you. I'm an evangelist. I bring you euangelion of great joy that will be for all people. And what was the great news? What was the gospel? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
Now, our familiarity with this passage may cause us to miss something so unique in these verses. Whose birth were they coming to announce? Well, if we say, Jesus, that verse doesn't say they're announcing the birth of Jesus. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This was not a pronouncement of a baby named Jesus being born. This was an announcement that the Christ was born. And if you were with us last week, we talked about how Christ is not the name of Jesus. It's not Jesus Christ. Christ is a title. It's Jesus the Christ. Jesus the anointed one. Jesus the Messiah. And when these angels came, they were coming to bring good news. Because the king has come. In fact, if you can flip with me to the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, just the opening of how he starts what, what he writes. Mark chapter number one. We see this again, and I realize there's going to be different translations here. So I have two translations behind me. Uh, the ESV, which is more of a word for word, and the NIV, which is more of a, of, of a phrase by phrase translation. But in the ESV, you'll see the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In the NIV, you'll see the beginning of the good news. Gospel good news is the same about Jesus, the Messiah. Messiah and Christ, the same language. Christ, Christ Christos, Greek. Messiah, Mashiach, from Hebrew. And he says, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Christ. What was the good news about Jesus? Look at verse 14, if you would. Verse 14. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming, again, we're, I'm throwing both translations behind me, he began proclaiming the gospel or the good news of God. And this is what he said, the time is fulfilled or the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this gospel or believe this good news. If you've been in church for a long time, this might, this might catch you a little bit because here's what we're about to understand. When Jesus says, I have the gospel to preach to you, the gospel Jesus says is the kingdom has come. You know, the majority of Christians today, if we were to ask, be asked, hey, can you tell me what the gospel is? Most of us would say, well, the gospel is that Jesus died and that he was buried and he resurrected and he's back to life so that we can go to heaven when we die. But if Jesus is proclaiming the good news of God before he dies... The gospel has to be more than just the death, burial, and resurrection because he's already preaching the good news. He's already preaching the gospel and he has not yet gone to the cross. So what is the good news that Jesus is saying? He's saying it is good news that the king has come because it's through the king that the kingdom arrives. 
And he's a good king. He is a king who will go to the cross. But it is through his death, burial, and resurrection that the kingdom of God comes in a greater way. Last Sunday, we, if you were with us, we looked at this crown and we, we said, well, who is the king? And we saw that Jesus fulfilled all the biblical prophecies there were to fulfill. He was the seed of woman. He was the family of Abraham. He was, he was like but greater than Moses. He was in the lineage of David and he came to restore what sin had broken. And, and on the night of his birth, the, the angels Filled the sky with glory and light to announce the good news. Hey, the one you've been waiting for is here. But I want us to consider this thought. Kings were born before Jesus. Kings have been born after Jesus. Why is the birth of this king good news, as the scriptures say, to all And I'm going to answer that question just by simply sharing one event that took place in my life a year ago this week. In December of 2022, one year ago, our family was living in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, and I was pastoring a church in a town called Luray. We had been there for six years and we're beginning to see some of the fruit of our time together with one group of people in a, in a lasting growth. And my daughter, Trinity, who's here today, she was a senior in Luray High School. Being the daughter of a pastor is not easy. Her friends would only let her get so close. There were people who avoided her because she was a pastor's kid. And yet there was one teacher in her school, her name is Mrs. Melissa McDaniel, that Trinity became such good friends with. She was a, she's a blessed Christian lady. She would often talk about Mrs. McD, is what she would say. Mrs. McD. She'd talk about her at home all the time. And Jamie and I had never met Mrs. McDaniel, and yet we were so appreciative of the friendship that they shared. And I believe it was late October maybe early November of, of last year, Trinity texted me one morning and said, hey, Dad, pray for Mrs. McD. Her husband's very sick. They keep going to doctors, and they don't know what's wrong. So I asked Trinity, well, could you send me her, 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 um, her phone number? I, I'd love to call and pray with her. And so she sent me her number. I called her, and, and I got a voice message. I left her a, I left her a prayer on a, on a voice message and said, hey, if, if I could come by and pray with you, please just let me know. Well, in a few short weeks, it was discovered that Mrs. McDaniel's husband, whose name is Chuck, that Chuck had liver cancer. Chuck's health declined rapidly, as you could see on the far left. This is August when he was fully healthy. September, he's already beginning to lose weight while they were trying to figure out what was wrong. By October, he had been placed in a hospital, and you could see the progression taking place that quickly. I wasn't able to ever get over to their home or I just, I just continued to leave messages with Melissa and, and praying with her and encouraging her, giving her verses to, to think through and pray through. And Melissa was worried about Chuck though because she wasn't, well, because Chuck wasn't a believer. It was in early December, December 5, 
this past, I believe, Monday or Tuesday. She called me, and it was the first time we ever spoke on the phone. We had been texting back and forth, but she called me and said, Pastor Brian, my husband's just been taken to the ICU at the University of Virginia Hospital. Could you please come? We made plans to meet the next morning. I drove to the University of Virginia Hospital, parked in the parking garage, made my way, and for the first time met Mrs. McDaniel in person. We were in the hallway of UVA. And I followed her to her husband's room in the ICU. And when I got there, she said, would you please just wait outside? And she walked in and shut the door behind her. And what I did not know was she had not told Chuck ahead of time that she'd invited a pastor to be with him. And inside that room, they were talking. And it wasn't a, a pleasant conversation about how Chuck was telling her that he did not appreciate having this guy come. But since it was an hour and a half drive, he let me walk in. I stood next to his bed and we talked for a few minutes, just kind of talked a little bit about who we were and his family and, and, and our, our connection with Trinity and Luray High School. And we just chatted for a little bit and then there was a knock on the door as I was standing right next to his bed. And I stepped aside and the doctors, two doctors came in. And Chuck was still in bed. This is what he was looking like by December. And I stood off to the side, and the, the doctors said, well, we need to, we need to have a discussion. And, and so they looked at me, and I could tell, we don't know you. And it was a, they were going to say, get out of the room, and I understand why. And Mrs. McDaniel, again, who I had just met that morning, said, no, this is our pastor. So I, saw, I stayed in the room to hear the news that was delivered. Chuck, your cancer has reached a stage where we only have one option, and that is a transplant. We're going to do a test tomorrow. If that test tomorrow reveals you can be placed on the transplant list, then we'll put you there right away as a priority. But if not, Chuck, we have no other option. We're going to have to send you home and we'll make you as comfortable as we can, but we can't do anything else. I was standing in the room, of course, again, remember, I had just met both of them. After the doctors walked out, I gave them time and space to talk to one another, to discuss what was just shared, and then eventually they, they just quieted down, and I came over and I, I prayed with them. When I got done praying, I wasn't quite sure what, what was next. And Chuck had a little sly smile on his face, and he looked at me and goes, well, you going to pull up a chair or what? I know why she asked you to come. And I said, I would love to, Chuck. And I pulled up a chair next to him, and I sat down, and I said, Chuck, can I ask you a question that I love to ask people because it helps me understand a little bit about their personal, where they are with God. And he said, sure. And I would love it if you, would cons if you who are here today, if you would consider this question as well. I said, hey, Chuck, if you were to meet God outside the gates of heaven one day, and I said, I don't believe that's the way it goes. I think absent from the body is present with the Lord. But let's just, take, let's just assume that God were to meet you outside the gates of heaven someday and look at you and say, Chuck, why should I let you into my kingdom? How would you answer that question? I've asked this question 
hundreds of times to people. Chuck gave me the answer that the majority of people give. He said, well, that's a tough one. I guess, I guess what I would say is, you know, that I've been a good husband and a good father. I've worked very hard. I have character and integrity and I go to church. I don't go to church all the time, but I go to church sometimes and I believe in God and I talk to God. I said, okay. I said, Chuck, can I, can I summarize for you? Can I ask you, if this, is this a good summary that if you were to meet God outside the gates of heaven and he were to say, why should I let you into my kingdom? Your answer would be, well, I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm a pretty good person and I've tried to be as good of a person as I can be. And he nodded and he's like, yeah, that, that's, that's good. That, that's, yeah, that's probably what I would say. I said, Chuck, I have one more question. If you could be a good enough person, if you could do enough good things in your life to where you stand before God one day and say, I deserve to go into your kingdom because I've tried to be as good as I can. I said, if you can say, if you can earn the kingdom of heaven by what you've done, then may I ask you, why did Jesus have to leave heaven and come to this earth and die on a cross? If you can be good enough to earn heaven on your own, why did Jesus have to come? Why did he have to live a perfect life? Why did he have to die on a cross? And Chuck looked at me with the greatest sincerity probably of anyone that I've ever asked this question to. And he looked me right in the eyes and he said, I have no idea. But I sure hope you're going to tell me. I said, I would love to tell you, Chuck. For about 45 minutes, I sat with Chuck with an open Bible. And we talked about if I can be good enough in order to get to heaven, why did Jesus have to come to die? And I took him to verses like Titus chapter number 3. It says, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. And I said, Chuck, you know, mercy, mercy means you don't get what you deserve. I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, I got a speeding ticket, stood in front of a judge, and that judge was very kind to me, and he did not make me pay the $135 fine. He let me go with just a warning, and I, that's mercy. I deserve the fine, but I didn't get it. And what this verse says is that we didn't get saved because of the good things that we did, but because of the mercy of, of God. And I, I showed him, let me show you what we deserve. And I took him to Romans chapter 6, verse number 23. said, the wages, that's something you earn. You get a paycheck. You earn. And I said, we're all sinners. The wages of sin is death. You know, but here's the thing. Biblical life and biblical death is so different than what we think of as physical life and physical death. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse number three, eternal life is knowing God the Father and Jesus Christ his son, whom he has sent. 
Life is a relationship with God, which means death is separation from God. And I said, so, so, so Chuck, here's what you have to know. You're saved by his mercy. Here's what you deserve. You deserve separation from God. But mercy comes and we don't get what we deserve. And it says it comes in Jesus Christ. Now, I took them to Ephesians chapter number two, which says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And it says it again, not by works. And like Chuck, it's not about what we have done. We saw it's by mercy. And then grace, Chuck, grace means we get something we don't deserve. Like we, we don't deserve a gift. Grace and mercy both come through Jesus. We shared some other, other, uh, other verses and, and we talked about how Jesus is the one that God sent. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the way that we can be delivered from our sin. And then I basically, I, I said, we gotta summar, summarize it all up and I took him to Galatians chapter two, which the apostle Paul wrote. And I think the apostle Paul wanted to make something very, very clear to the people he was speaking to because he says a person is not justified. When we see the word justified, just think made right with God. A person is not made right with God by works of the law. That is good. The law is good, right? We're not made right with God by works of the law, but by faith. That's a belief in Jesus Christ. He says, so we too have faith in Christ Jesus that we might may be justified, made right with God by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified or no one will be made right with God. And I said to him, Chuck, when I asked you, if you were to stand outside the gates of heaven and God were to say, why should I let you into my kingdom? What you said was, I've been a pretty good person. And I said, I believe you. You are a good man. Everything your wife has said, you are a good man. But it doesn't matter how good you are. That's not the way into the kingdom. The way into the kingdom is only through the king. Mercy and grace. Mercy. Because what we deserve was separation from God. And do you know what Jesus did on the cross? When he went to the cross, one of, the, one of his cries from the cross was, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus did not give us what we deserve to be forsaken by God. Jesus took that upon himself. Praise the Lord. And Jesus lived a perfect life. And what, he, what, what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says is that he took all of his righteous, all of the perfection that he has, and he picked it up and he said, I want you to have my robes of perfect righteousness. That is grace. We don't deserve his righteousness. He gives us his righteousness. And when we stand before God one day, we can't say, well, I've tried to be a pretty good person because we don't get the kingdom by being a pretty good person. We don't get the kingdom by having more good things than bad things. We get the kingdom through one 
And it is the king. And his name is Jesus. And it is through faith in what Jesus has done in offering us mercy at the cross and grace in giving us his perfect record of righteousness. Melissa told me later, she said, when you were talking to Chuck, I watched his face and his countenance soften. I, it visibly happened as I watched. I finally, I took Chuck's hand. I said, Chuck, there's one way to the kingdom. And his name is Jesus. That's why Jesus said, I am the way. The truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And that through is our faith in him. I remember holding his hand and looking in his eyes and I said, Chuck, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the one that the Father sent in order to save the world from their sin by his death on the cross? And he said, I do. I said, Chuck, would you take all of your hope and all of your trust, would you remove it from the good things you have done and would you put all of your faith and all of your hope and all of your trust in the person of Jesus and say, Jesus is my King. Jesus is my Christ. Jesus is my Savior. And he looked at me and again with all the sincerity that he had and he said, I believe that. I couldn't see Chuck's heart but God sure could. And I believe, in, and as I was sitting there with Chuck and holding his hand, I believe that he had the faith in the person of Jesus and in the works of Jesus that would allow him to become a part of the family of God and through the king be brought into the kingdom of God. It was awesome. I walked out of that room excited on December 6th that Chuck had placed his faith in Jesus the Christ. And then on December 7, I got a call from Melissa. He doesn't qualify for the transplant. He came home December 8 or 9. Trinity and I got to visit Chuck and Melissa in their home twice. Once Chuck was still able to speak and talk. And we talked about this conversation. The second time we visited, he was, he was barely conscious Melissa told me, she said, you know, until he started losing his ability to speak and to think, he told me every day, I know what to say. My faith's in Jesus. It was December 21st when Melissa called to say, well, my husband is at the gates of heaven. And I, I went over there and I sat with her for a bit and there were definitely tears that were shed, tears of grief as you say goodbye to someone that you've loved your entire life. Tears of relief that he's not in pain anymore. But mixed in those tears of grief and relief were tears of joy that said, I, I know where he is. My husband is, is with Jesus. He's a part of the kingdom. 
because he believed in the king. That's why 2,000 years ago, when there was a baby placed in a manger, the skies lit up and the angels said, Behold, we bring you good news. The Christ has come. And anyone who wants to place their trust in the Christ instead of in themselves is welcome into the kingdom. And the kingdom is far greater than you could ever imagine. If you're here today and your hope for the kingdom of heaven are the good things that you've done and the good life that you've lived, I, I don't have good news for you. I have bad news. The bad news is that no amount of good works erases our sin. So good works is not our way into the kingdom. If that's your hope, I have bad news. That is not a hope that's going to land you where you want to be. But hey, hey, I have good news. I have really, really good news. Really, really good news. Because 2,000 years ago, the king is called. And he brought the kingdom of God with him. And the king has come and he invites you to say, believe in me. Don't believe in yourself. Don't follow your heart. Follow the king. Don't do what you want to do. Lay your life down. Lay it as a sacrifice and come follow me. That is the way into the kingdom. Ah, the king has come. Amen. 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 And so my question to you today is, are you a part of that kingdom? Or, hey, do you want to be? Because if you want to be, you don't have to pay a ticket. <laughs> you don't have to go out and do something good. You believe in the one who has already done the good work for you. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is the king who has come to bring the kingdom to you. Would you pray with me? Ah, oh, Father, we heard, we heard, we heard from the children this morning that we should not be afraid. There are people in this world who are really kind-hearted, loving people. They're generous people. And Lord, Satan has convinced them that it is through their own good life that they somehow will earn a kingdom. But Lord, that, that kingdom only comes through the king. And Father, may we not keep that good news to ourselves as the children sang. May we go and may we tell and may we proclaim and may we share with the people whose lives we come in contact. Father, if there's anybody here today and in their heart and in their mind when I simply ask that question that if God were to meet you outside the gates of heaven, how would you answer? If in their heart or in their mind they say, well, I've tried to be a good person, I pray that today, Lord, you would reveal to them that we're, we're so thankful that there's good people in this world, but good doing good things doesn't erase the bad. Only believing 
in the person of Jesus, the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins does that. And Father, if there's someone here today and they do not know Jesus Christ as their only hope for eternal life, as their only hope for the kingdom, Lord, I pray that today your spirit would work in such a way that it would be revealed for them to say, I see it now. I see it now. I've, I've trusted in myself, but trusting in myself is not good news. It is good news that the king has come and I place my trust in the person of Jesus and in his work for me. And Lord, would you bring excitement and joy and good news to those who are here today? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I would just love for you to go back to that question. Would you rehearse it one more time? If God were to meet you outside the gates of heaven and ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? And if that answer is anything other than Jesus, Jesus is my way. I believe in the king who laid his life down for me. That's my only hope for the kingdom. If it's anything other than that, we're in trouble. But the good news is the king invites all of us to believe in him today. 